Welcome to Conversations with Owens Community College President, Dr. Dion D. Somerville. Welcome to the ninth episode of the Conversations Podcast. I'm Dr. Dion D. Somerville. Thank you for listening. Whether you are a new listener or a seasoned fan, we are so happy you're joining us as we explore the issues and meet the people who are important to Northwest Ohio and Owens Community College. Please take a moment to explore our previous episodes and be sure to subscribe to the Conversations podcast so you can join us for future episodes. Today, I am so excited to welcome Reverend John Jones, president of Hope Toledo. Owens has enjoyed a truly impactful partnership with Hope Toledo, and we're excited to have him with us today. A Toledo native, Reverend Jones grew up in the Junction neighborhood and went to graduate from Central State University with a bachelor's degree in accounting and finance. After graduation, he went to work at Ernst & Young LLP as a senior auditor. Reverend Jones left Ernst & Young to become a senior reimbursement analyst with ProMedica Health System. He left the company to serve as president and CEO of the Greater Toledo Urban League for four years before returning to ProMedica as its associate vice president of its governance office and the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. While in that role, he earned his MBA from the University of Toledo and a Certificate of Diversity Management through the American Hospital Association's Institute for Diversity and Health Equity. He went on to serve as the community liaison for ProMedica with its Office of Social Determinants of Health. In that role, Reverend Jones served the community through the development of mentoring programs as well as training and placement of youth, young adults, and others. During his tenure, he also focused on education and was instrumental in developing the vision for Hope Toledo. And in 2020, Reverend Jones was named president of Hope Toledo. Reverend Jones is also an ordained minister and serves as an associate minister at the Christian Temple Baptist Church under the leadership and pastorate of his father, the Reverend Charles E. Jones. The Christian Temple Baptist Church was founded in 1972 by his grandmother, the late Reverend Dr. Daisy L. Hoff. Reverend Jones has been the recipient of numerous awards, including induction into the 2008 class of 20 under 40 for Toledo and the recipient of the 2010 Callalilly Educator Award from the National Sorority of Phi Delta Kappa Incorporated Beta Gamma Chapter. Reverend Jones is a great friend to Owens Community College, and we are so grateful he agreed to join us for a conversation. Hello, Reverend Jones, and thank you for being our guest today. Reverend Jones, welcome to our Conversations podcast. I am thrilled that you're here with us and we get to talk about a lot of things, our partnership and so many things that you're doing in Northwest Ohio and Greater Toledo. But one of the things we like to do with all of our guests is to ask them how you knew you wanted to go to school. What made you decide that you needed education outside of high school? First, let me just say it's great to be on the podcast with you. I've listened to several of them, and not only am I impressed by your leadership, but I'm also um, thrilled that you're taking these steps to sort of engage with community leaders and talk to people and make sure Owen's name is getting out there and the work that you all are doing. So Thank you I'm thrilled that. to be a part of such a great group of people. But education for me has been really driven from a young age. So my parents believed in making sure that we got a solid education. They actually invested along with my grandmother to make sure that we got the type of education that they thought we needed, which was based not just in the academics, but also in a Christian base um, from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so my grandmother's was our first pastor, my dad's, you know, pastor of our church now. So they firmly believed in that. Um, and they instilled in us a love for learning and a drive for learning. So you weren't coming in the house with grades that didn't look <laughs> like they thought they should look. 
And so with that, that drove us as children to push and get there. They were also very clear with us that, you know, my dad got a little bit of an associate's degree. My mom obviously graduated from high school, but that was about it. So they were always pushing us to make sure that we did better than they did and went farther than they did from an educational front. So there was this thirst built in from an early, early stage, like I said, from my parents and also from my grandmother, because she actually taught school. Bible school for that perspective, but it was just this constant love of learning. Now, one of the things that's interesting is that you're an alum of Central State University, one of the few HBCUs in the Midwest, um, but a very long history. And one of the things that HBCUs and community colleges have in common is that it's hard-baked in the mission that we meet the students where they are, students who are at promise, regardless of, you know, if they are an absolute scholar or they're struggling, we meet them where they are and help them succeed. And so talk to me a little bit about how your experience at Central State kind of launched you into your career and what you wanted to do afterwards? Such a great question because I really did not have Central State on the radar, right? Had went and visited several. I had a couple HBCUs. Howard, I think, was one. Mm -hmm. Um, But didn't really have Central State there. Filled out an application, sent in all my stuff, and it was probably April. Mm -hmm. I was already thinking, hey, I'm just going to stay home, go to UT and navigate, you know, through things that way. And then got a phone call. I think I was outside in the backyard cutting grass or doing something. And my dad called. (laughs) Something meaningful. Something meaningful, right? (laughs) So my dad yells out and was like, hey, come here. So I, you know, jumped the fence, came in and he was like, we just got a phone call. You got a full ride scholarship to Central State. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. Okay. Um, that's worth jumping so a fence for. That's worth jumping a fence for, right? <laughs> that's worth doing all of that. My grandmother, she's resting with the Lord now, but my grandmother actually was like, no, I don't think I want him to leave. I'll pay for him to go to UT and this, that, and the other. My dad was like, mother, you're crazy. It's a full <laughs> scholarship. You don't have to pay anything. But I'm thrilled that I got the shot to go to Central State. I did not realize what was in store for me by going to a historically black college and university. I really didn't. I'm thrilled with my elementary high school learning. Um, I went to Toledo Christian and then to Emmanuel, but quite literally those schools were predominantly white, right? So it was me and another, there were two more of us in my senior class and that was it. Mm -hmm. You know, the school didn't have much diversity, um, those types of things. And, you know, I'm not saying that that's all that bad, but that's just the reality, right? right. Um, and so I get to Central State, and it's the exact opposite. The opposite, yeah. It's the exact opposite. We did have some, you know, non-African American, non-minority students on campus, but there weren't that many, right? Mm-hmm. It's an HBCU. So by going there, what struck me immediately was what you've already articulated: the process of having, at least at the time, open enrollment, right? Mm-hmm. And so. You could have had, you know, a 4.0 or you could have had a no.0 and you could have gotten into Central State back in my day. So that was 92. And quite literally, that changed the landscape for me, being able to be around professors, having that one on one personal kind of touch and having professors that actually were going to get in your grill. Mm-hmm. Um, and make sure that you were doing what you needed to do. Have them text you and call you. Well, not texting though so much back in the day, but have them call you. Guys were very yeah, we were super technology if that was happening, but have them call you um, and, and find out what's going on. Why aren't you doing this, this, and the, and, and the other? Um, and having them know you by name, mm-hmm. right? To have the president of the university know you by name was pretty significant. Having the access to 
African-American leaders from all walks of life that wanted to be on an HBCU campus and then just the overall culture. It was quite literally a trajectory changer for my life, right? And I knew while I majored in accounting and finance, I knew that impacting others was going to be a critical piece because of going to Central State um, and being able to connect in so many ways. And I've got stories for days, right, of what all that meant to me. But I can never underestimate and never undersell how important it was to be on a campus of an HBCU. And I'm thrilled that Central State is still doing well today. I mean, 1890 land-grant institution, they're the only publicly funded HBCU in the state of Ohio. But at the end of the day, it was literally a game changer for me and the trajectory of my life. I think it's amazing when you talk about the transformational power of higher education. And I think education beyond high school, wherever you get it, is going to have an impact on on who you are, where you go. But I think one of the great things about American higher ed is students have so many choices. So many. There's a variety, and everything doesn't suit every student, and everything may not suit any student any particular point in time in their life. Absolutely. And so you may choose one kind of institution, and then if you decide you want to go back for a graduate degree or whatever, you can choose another kind, and they're all just fine. Absolutely. They're all Absolutely. just fine. Absolutely. And you actually did that. Yeah, And so you decided to yeah. get your master's mm-hmm. where you were going to go the first time. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. so when it got my executive master's EMBA from the University of Toledo. You know, I graduate from Central State. I start working immediately in public accounting and then transitioned over to ProMedica, still doing finance-type work. Actually left and ran the Urban League for a stretch, came back to ProMedica, and it was during that time that I realized I want to go pursue this idea of a master's, and there was tuition reimbursement and Mm -hmm. all of those things, and I was like, I probably need to jump on this now. And so by being able to do that in the EMBA, again, another significant educational moment because the University of Toledo has some excellent instructors, professors, but learning in that environment with the cohort that I was in was an extreme learning experience. It was great to be around others of different backgrounds, i.e., you know, professional backgrounds and what they were doing, so on and so forth. And some of them today are doing some phenomenal work, running their own businesses to leading other organizations, even here in Toledo. So being able to be in that Mm -hmm. space and to learn business from the professors that were teaching us, it gave me a whole nother viewpoint of business, of Mm -hmm. corporate world, and how to infuse that. Because fortunately, I had had some corporate background as well as some nonprofit background. Now I can infuse both of those things together. And then let's see how we make things even better. So several months ago, Mm -hmm. you and I both served as panelists for a discussion about servant leadership. Yep. And I remember this so well. During that discussion, and I can't remember the question we were responding to, But you talked about your grandmother, who Mm -hmm. you mentioned a few minutes ago, and how she embodied servant leadership. And you talked about how that was, how you even knew what the term was because of her. And she founded the Christian Temple Baptist Church, where she served as the first pastor, Mm -hmm. and where you and your father and your brother all serve as ministers currently, right? Yeah. And so the church is near where you grew up. It is near where you currently live. I don't think that we can learn about you and your connection to the community without learning about you and your connection to that church. And so 
why have you chosen to stay in Northwest Ohio? How has the church played a role in that in how you serve your community? It is literally because of my engagement, connection, and life in and through where I serve in my faith walk. That's the reason why I'm here. So with my grandmother being first pastor, obviously, you know, they were not. My mother was born and raised in Toledo, but my grandmother was not. She was born down in Mississippi. Dad was born in Clarksdale. That's where he grew up for a few years. Then they moved. And when I say up here, moved up north, um, obviously during the Great Migration and all of those different pieces. And so they ended up landing in, in Toledo and partially because my dad, my grandfather, my dad's dad and my grandmother, they had divorced. But then my grandmother remarried a pastor. And the family, there was a family who he pastored down in Clarksdale. Mm -hmm. The family moved up here. So they were looking for churches, didn't find necessarily what they were looking for. Mm -hmm. So they sent a message down to him somehow or another and said, we want you to come up here. So they Mm -hmm. moved the family up to Toledo. And so they came here to Toledo. This was in the early Mm forties, somewhere in that time frame. And then he actually, after he was here for a few years, and they started a church, which is actually New Light Baptist Church. My grandmother named it. They then moved to Chicago, so my dad went to Chicago for a few years, right? Mm-hmm. He ended up coming back here and did his high school and graduated from Scott. But along the way, obviously, early 70s, called into the ministry my grandmother was, and the Christian Temple Baptist Church was started, and she became the first pastor, arguably. And we don't know this mm-hmm. to be exact, but arguably she was the first female black Baptist minister Mm -hmm. um, in this neck of the woods, right? So that wasn't necessarily what you did if you were a woman. You didn't necessarily say, I want to be a pastor of a church. It just (laughs) wasn't happening, right? But God saw fit to make that happen. And my dad was called into ministry actually a few months before her, but he was called to be her co-pastor. And so they served together for some 20 some odd years. That was the space that I grew up in. That was what I knew. And my grandmother, not only was she pastor of our church, but my grandmother was also engaged in community. She was a life member of the NAACP and she did various things. She actually bought some property and while she was teaching in a Christian training center right up the road, she bought another building and sort of was going to make that into like this community center and all Mm -hmm. of that stuff. I, I say all the time that my grandmother was literally before her time Uh in almost every aspect of the word. Mm -hmm. So when I say I learned servant leadership from her, I literally did. She served and she led and she did so with humility and watching her up close and personal Mm because I got to see everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was one of those grandkids that I was always at her house on the weekends and <laughs> all of those different things. So I got to see mm-hmm. all of that. And I also got to see my dad work closely with her and he was the only child. So it was just him and her. And so he did literally everything for her, right. Yeah. Took care of her, did this that, and the other all the way up until the very end. And so by being able to watch that and watch leadership right in front of my eyes, it was an amazing thing, but it also shaped and colored the internal desire and the internal motivation that I have that it ain't all about making the next dollar. It ain't all about doing this, that, and the other. It's about who do you touch? Who do you serve? And what lives are impacted because you stop that way. And so in everything that I do, that is the driving force and factor. And I learned even through school because it was difficult after graduating college. Mm -hmm. So one, it was difficult to leave and go to college because she was sort of towards the end of her years, right? And she passed while I was in school. But then coming home, 
I need to be back here, right? right? And and there were those that would look at me and they were like, you are crazy to go back to Toledo. Why would you do that? <laughs> and and my response was, it's not like Toledo is like the absolute best place ever in the world for every single opportunity. Nowhere is. Nowhere. But it was very clear to me that I could do everything that I needed to do mm-hmm. and more mm-hmm. right here in Toledo. And it started with my faith belief, right? So instead of going to another city, it's not like there's no other churches across the country. There are, mm-hmm. and I could have found them, but I knew what I had here. Right. And so started there, and then every every other piece just began to fall into place from each job that I've held to the family coming here, all those different things. So it is not lost on me that I serve in the community that I live Mm-hmm. Um, and that I intentionally live in the community that I serve. It is intentional for me. When I got you know, married, bought another house, I intentionally sought out a house in the neighborhood. I can walk to my parents' house in 10 minutes. I can walk to my church from my house in 10 minutes. I can actually walk downtown in about 10 to 15 minutes because I'm that close to all of it. And that's how God has sort of designed the fabric of my life to be able to do that and do it well. How does all of that, from your upbringing, your educational experiences, your family, into Hope Toledo? I really don't want to use the word culmination, but culmination is like a really good word right here. It is like this weaving together of all of these things that I've been able to do, from the early years of education to going off to an HBCU to doing corporate work. Mm-hmm. to leaving corporate work and doing nonprofit work at the Urban League, coming back, and now being here. I don't want to say I've seen everything, but I've seen a lot, and I've been in a lot of spots. And the one thing that I now understand as being a clear constant to me is that if you can provide people with access mm-hmm. and availability to a great education, most people, can write their ticket to whatever they want to do inside of the space. Now, I'm not saying that it's the panacea, so I get it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of other things that play into that. But if they can get access Mm -hmm. to quality education throughout the course of their life, they have a better chance to make the decisions that they want to make as opposed to being forced to make decisions because they have to do this or they can't get this job because they don't have that qualification or they're looked over for this or that. To me, education changes all of that. And so for me, being at Hope Toledo, now I have the privilege and the opportunity to serve the community that I'm in, but to serve it from cradle to career Mm -hmm. and really focus on the one thing that I think matters most, and that's education. You even think about the name of the organization, Hope Toledo, and you talk about people being able to write their ticket. But my father-in-law always had a saying, so it's a poor rat that only has one hole. And so when you consider what you're saying about having options, being able to decide, not being in a situation where you're forced with certain choices, Mm -hmm. you're able to make certain choices, that makes a huge difference. And to me, that's, that's hope. You know, it helps people transform their lives and, you know, their families' lives, their communities, the whole region. And it just has such an exponential impact. Yeah, it does. And if you listen, even when Pete Cadence first had the conversation about this idea and wanted to launch the promise side of the work, right? Mm -hmm. And as we talked about the early childhood ed space and why would we want to do that here in Toledo, it really revolves around the ability for people to make the choice that they want to 
for their own life, right? It doesn't mean somebody's way smarter or this, that, and the Mm -hmm. other. It literally means that folks were exposed early and they had the opportunity to literally make a choice. If you were to talk to any one of our kids, any one of the families that we touch, and their living arrangement may not be what they want it to be today, right? Mm -hmm. The job that they have may not be the job that they want to have today. But when given the choice and when given this opportunity to upskill and increase their education and this, that, and the other, it just opens up so many doors. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that those that are, you know, the most affluent among us, the biggest difference Mm -hmm. is that they had choices earlier on in life. And those choices allowed them to make, you know, and to get to where they are today. Now, yeah, you got to have some hard work thrown in there. Mm -hmm. You got to have some responsibility thrown in there. But when the playing field is level and you give folks those opportunities, I see success all around. And it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter. Not, you can succeed if you're given the tools and all of those things to do so. And what we see is that a lot of folks in our community aren't given those tools. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, education is one of the biggest tools that you can have mm-hmm. in your toolbox. It's a tool. It's a mindset. It's it's an outlook. It's a different way of thinking. Like when you truly believe that there's possibility for you, for your loved ones, that makes a huge difference. Makes a huge difference. You know, if you're sitting around, you know, in despair and not believing. Yeah. We celebrated our first generation student day earlier this week. Yeah, yeah. And it's always great to really talk about students and their achievements regardless. But to listen to students and employees who are all first generation talk about some of what they had to overcome and some of the barriers, it's amazing that they made it to our front door sometimes, much less through the achievements that they have in earning certificates and degrees and transferring on to other opportunities. So it's absolutely amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things that we enjoy is the relationship between Owens Community College and Hope Toledo. And just before the relationship that we have and you talked about education, but you also talked about, you know, not only the opportunity for access, but that there are other things that go with it. And our organizations have been very active in terms of how to bridge that gap. Yes. And so we currently this year are very honored to have 28 Hope Scholars yep. at Owens. Can you talk to us a little bit about what Hope Toledo Promise really is about? The Promise is designed to create access Um, for students that have graduated high school and to create a pathway for them to access post-secondary degrees, certificates, so on and so forth. And that can be from a four-year, two-year, a trade school, right? And so as we built this, we built it with the idea in mind that if we're going to create generational economic change, Mm -hmm. it has to start with quality education in the post-secondary space, as well as in the early childhood ed space. And so for the promises side of our work, it's really for us to say we want you to get this opportunity Mm -hmm. and have an opportunity without incurring student loan debt. And then we made it unique here in Toledo, which few other places are starting to move in that direction, is that we didn't just do it for one generation, i.e. the student that graduated. We said we're going to make this a two-generational approach. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that now we've got student involved, Let's go see what mom, dad, legal guardian, whoever that person is that's taking care of you, one of them, mm-hmm. how can we get them into the mix so that they can change the course and the trajectory of their space? 
I say it often, I will continue to say this, we can't solve multi-generational issues with single-generation approaches. So it's wonderful to give a scholarship. It's Mm -hmm. phenomenal to give a kid a scholarship graduating from school. But for them to have the onus laid on them, and I see it every single day, right? Kid graduates, they're now going to school, and even in school, they're expected to work, put money back home, try to take care of the family, be responsible for all this stuff going on with the little brothers and little sisters and all this stuff. And I get it. It's it, I understand the why behind it. But what we've said is if we can help mom or dad level up as well, mm-hmm. now we can create some kind of a locus of power that allows for people in their family unit to be able to move the ball and move the needle a little bit more. So the premise behind Hope is just that. And we started at Scott High School with a pilot. We've got three different cohorts in from the class of 20, 21, 22. All three of those classes were extended that offer. And at the present moment, we're sitting on approximately 160, 170 kids that have accessed the program. Mm -hmm. Um, We've got another 20 or so parents somewhere in that ballpark. And it's probably a few more that are looking to access. They just got a few more things to get over, hurdles to jump over and schedules to try to build out. But we've got parents involved in that mix as well. We're thrilled to see them across the state of Ohio. There's a few up in eastern Michigan because of um, the reciprocity that they have. But we are extremely thrilled, and I say this without fear of contradiction, I'm thrilled that we have as many of them as, as have chosen to come to Owens. And I say this without fear of contradiction. I sort of get a little bit disappointed in our community sometimes because I think Owens is a gem that we overlook way too often. I would love, and I, I'm saying this, obviously I'm on your podcast, so some would say it's, <laughs> it's a tad bit self-serving, but, but I say this because I've said it outside of, mm-hmm. outside of your presence. And, and the reason why I say it is this, when we look at the hurdle for kids to climb, to jump from their high school space, where they may have just squeaked by, not because they're not intelligent, not because they couldn't learn, but maybe they didn't apply themselves or they didn't do this or didn't do that, to jump from there to a four-year school is a hard lift. It's a hard lift for kids that's busting out 4.0s and get a full scholarship. That transition ain't super easy. It's just Mm -hmm. not. And Owens provides the opportunity for students to be able to, A, access. The GPA wasn't all that great, and they can't get admitted to a University of Toledo or to a central state or to wherever because we've got GPA requirements, all that stuff. If they can't do it, they can come to Owens. And it's not that it's the catch-all, but it gives you an opportunity. It doesn't mean that you, you don't have to sit out and say, I can't go do this. Right. You have an opportunity. And what we've learned is that if you really dig in, and I'm watching it unfold right in front of my eyes, even this semester, watching a few instructors, and every instructor is built different, but I'm watching a few of your professors like intentionally lean in, mm-hmm. weekend office hours, reviewing papers before they turn them in, doing all of this stuff. And I'm not saying other schools don't do it because I know they do. But being able to watch that happen in real time with our students that are here, to have students that were on top of their business Mm -hmm. in high school and earn some college credit plus stuff and they could come to Owens and be real close to graduating after a year as opposed to being here for two or three, Mm -hmm. to see those things unfold, that's the things that I don't think our community really leans into like we should. And I'm glad Hope is doing that. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad we're growing the relationship even as I speak. I'm glad that's happening. Thank you for saying that. I really believe that we have 
special faculty and staff here. You know, when I talk to students, they pick Owens because of smaller class Absolutely. size, the value, flexibility, academic programs, things like that. But what I know is some of the same examples that you've mentioned, that we have faculty and staff who could be at any number of institutions right. of higher education, right. but who want to be here because of the community college mission, knowing that we have students here who could have chosen any institution they wanted to, but they wanted to start here for whatever reason. Right. And we have those for whom they may not feel as though they are confident right. to be able to go someplace else or that they want to explore, they want a specific academic program. And one of the great things about the community college sector is that we have all. Yes. We have all. Yes. And that's fantastic. Just the week or so ago, we have a student who's not even an English major who went to a Shakespeare conference, a statewide Shakespeare conference, wow. and his work was selected for honors at that conference over every other student Absolutely. who was there. And so you look at the quality of students that we have here. You combine that with dedicated faculty and staff who do want mm -hmm. to make sure that students succeed. And I don't think we could ask for anything better. Absolutely. Now, just before the start of this academic uh -huh. year, we collaborated on the Hope Hype Boot Camp. Yep. Um, it was 45 Hope Toledo students on campus for three days to learn the transition yes. into college, kind of what to expect, Absolutely. how is it different, what are some tools that they need to know. Why do you think these kinds of experiences are, are important? Why was it that Hope Toledo wanted to partner with us on that? We knew that our kids needed a jump start, mm -hmm. for lack of a better word, and we called it a boot camp. We knew that they needed it, and when I say they needed it, the kids that were going to be first time coming to a campus, whether that was to Owens or to wherever, we knew they needed it, but we also knew that our kids that were returning needed a little bit of energy, right, to say, hey, you can keep going, you can make it. And so I think it is best encapsulated because your Office of TRIO Student Support Services was phenomenal um, in helping to pull that together. The things that they did with the kids over the three days, I call them kids, I'm sorry, they're adults, I guess. Um, the things that they did with our scholars <laughs> over those three days, which is amazing. I mean, everything from, you know, a vision board, right, to understanding how to read your schedule. It was a whole myriad of things, health and wellness pieces to to everything that, that you could do, as well as your basics, right? What, have you got your financial aid done? All those different things. But I think it's encapsulized for me with, with one of our students. Actually, he's a student at Bowling Green. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because we opened it to all of our Hope students. And he was not planning to come because he had made the decision that he was done with the school thing, wasn't really working like he wanted it to. He was not doing terribly bad, but it was just like tough, a lot of different life circumstances, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So he had made the decision that I'm just gonna I'm I'm just gonna be done, not gonna re enroll for the fall, and I'm gonna go and enlist and join the Air Force. Mm -hmm. Pretty much had made his decision, had really told us that, but <laughs> had made that decision. And we were just reminding everybody come out. We got three days. He showed up on the last day. And we had speakers lined up, and we had some great speakers, right? And he came that day, and that day made the decision that I'm not going to drop out. I'm not going to go join the Air Force. I'm going to go back and register and keep pushing because what he saw was is I got a family of people around me. Mm -hmm. I got support. And I think that's what Hope Hype meant for us mm -hmm. was that it was the support mechanisms because – I don't want to say that it's easy doing the classwork, doing this, that, and the other. 
Yeah, you can navigate through that. Mm-hmm. It's typically the I miss home. It's typically the I got, you know, my car broke down. I lost my job. A family member passed. It's typically all the non-school yep. stuff that causes our children to not stick it out. And so with Hope Hype, by being able to partner with you all and bring in other folks, and we were able to give out care packages and all those different things, by being able to partner in that way, we were able to say, yes, you can make it. And he was able to see that, yes, he could make it. And we were able to hook him up with a few different things. And he's rolling, right? And and energized by being here for half of a day mm-hmm. out of those three days. You hit on something that research has out for decades. Retention isn't defined necessarily by a student's intelligence. Absolutely. If you're graduating high school and if you were admitted to college and you have the intelligence to be able to succeed, it's everything else. Absolutely. And it could be things from academic support, like how do I navigate? How do I manage to all of the ancillary things? And particularly for students who are not of means, all it takes is one thing. Yeah to unravel the best laid plans. Absolutely. I always use the analogy of a flat tire on my car. If I hit one of our very famous potholes and I get a flat, I'm going to pull over and I'm just going to call AAA. Absolutely. I might have to reschedule some things in my day or whatever, but I'm going to be okay. That's not always the case. Absolutely. For other people, you know, it could then mean that they don't have AAA. Absolutely. They have to find a loved one to come help them out, and then they have to work extra hours. And so as a result, they can't go to class, and they didn't go to class, so they're missing these assignments, and it just has this huge domino. Yep. And it just spirals out of control. It spirals out of control. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so when you talk about that community and that support for students, how did that play into wanting to be involved in pre-K education? That's a really good question because what we know is is that doing the work of the promise is great, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard work. It's wonderful work, all of that stuff. But it's not lost on me that if we can grab them earlier mm-hmm. in the process and get them started off as what we like to call a strong start, mm-hmm. an early start, strong start, if we can get them started strong early, that could help derail some of the issues that we see down here. I won't say all of them, mm-hmm. but it could help derail some of those issues because nine times out of 10, what you just described, which I love that analogy, what you just described nine times out of 10, if they had other choices, other opportunities earlier on in life, and if their family had those, mm-hmm. now you have a family that does have access to AAA or does have a little bit of funds left over after those checks in the month Mm -hmm. and could pay for a fix of a tire of a car. So for us, we said, let's try to get the kids as early as we can. So Mm -hmm. a four-year-old getting access to a quality preschool experience means all the difference in the world because now they enter kindergarten Mm -hmm. ready to learn, which means the teachers at that level can now focus in right. kindergarten on teaching them the things that they need to know to be a kindergartner, but also preparing them for the next grade levels. And now you see them at third grade reading on level, mm-hmm. at eighth grade doing math on level, graduating closer to on time more often. And now they got a real opportunity to be able to choose. Do I want to do Owens? Do I want to do UT? Do I just want to go? Do I want to go and, and get a welding certificate and just start working right away or become a cosmetologist? Or They have choices. Right. 
And so for us, we said, let's begin this process early. Let's not leave out the fact. And I'm a firm believer because I've been many people come to me and was like, John, you should just focus, focus on the early childhood. Ed. And I'm like, I hear you, but it's not in my internal constitution mm-hmm. to let the current generation just not get an opportunity. Right. Hard, very hard. <laughs> and one would say that, yes, you can do something that has long-term impact at the early childhood end, and they're right. And it is a longer investment. But I also know that if you don't try to grab the kids that are there now, which is why the promise means so much to me, which is why I continue to work at it, and I'm not going to let that piece go. Um, Because I don't want these kids that are currently in the mix to lose hope and to feel like they don't have an opportunity. But I also know that if I can grab these babies here mm-hmm. and get to mamas and daddies and tell them how important it is for early childhood ed, now they can create a trajectory for their child. So then that child does not come to me on the promise end of our work because they've done all this other stuff and they actually can do what it is that they need to do as they move forward. So, yeah, yeah the early childhood ed piece, our pre-K work is extremely crucial for what I believe, not just for the families that are involved, but for the lifeblood of our community. It really is that kind of wraparound effect and trying to look at how do you work from both ends of the spectrum, literally, to affect change. Absolutely. I have a a couple of questions that are more specific to you as an individual. You were selected for the Kresge Foundation's National Leadership Program. And so, first of all, congratulations. Thank you so much. Tell us about what that means for you. What, you know, it sounds like an incredible honor. We put in an application to Kresge to enhance the promise work that we're doing. And mm-hmm. so, just a sidebar, thank you all for being partners with us in that, in that process. But we, we put in an application to Kresge. We were fortunate enough to get the award. Um, folks that are here locally will say this all the time. It's hard to get a Kresge grant, right? Mm-hmm. And so we were fortunate that we were able to do it. Kresge then looked out amongst their portfolio, and they realized, I, I think somewhat in part because of the racial reconciliation that our country is dealing with, the clear political polarization that our country is dealing with. But then when you dig a little bit deeper, you're saying we've got a lot of nonprofit leaders that are on the front lines, COVID through, Mm -hmm. they were already on the front lines, but COVID changed what the front lines look like. Going through all kinds of stuff and Kresge recognized that there are, there's a group of leaders in their portfolio and they said, how can we help support them Mm -hmm. beyond funding for a program, beyond funding for some of their operations and things that they do? How can we support the leader? Right in building out their leadership and in helping them round out everything. And so I'm really fortunate. It's about 40 of us that are involved in this. Um, and so we're a part of a cohort. There's some funding attached to it that they are like, we're not putting any specific pieces on the funding. You can use it almost how you want to, but they are encouraging you to do a few things, go to a few conferences, get an executive coach, do these various types of things. But then you can also lean on each other mm-hmm. for some knowledge base and learning. And so I'm thrilled to be part of the group. I think it's, mm-hmm. one, it's just cool to be able to be recognized in that way. But two, sitting in these rooms mm-hmm. and to hear other leaders from across the country dealing with some of the same type things, then you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm not by myself. Um, and, <laughs> and you're also realizing that they've, they've navigated through it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so talk to me about how you navigated through that. And now I can use some of those, you know, learnings as best practice learnings for what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it sounds like an incredible honor, but also an incredible opportunity it to is. to really help come alongside you in the work that you're yeah, doing and, and moving it forward. Absolutely. What is it that you want 
the greater community to know about your work? One, and I say this without fear of contradiction, our community is one of the best places, I think, to be and to live and to work and to play and do all those different things. If anything, we are our own worst enemy, right? Because we don't see the greatness. Sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees, right? Mm-hmm. You're, up, you're, you're really close to it. So what I would want folks that you know, are listening and those that are connected, not just to our work, but to the work in general about helping people, is to realize that what you may consider to be little, someone else considers to be life-changing. Mm-hmm. And, and how we lean in to every single opportunity to serve is crucial. And service and help and support comes in different forms. And I don't want anyone to minimize their investment in the work because they may not be able to write a six-figure or seven-figure check. You may be able to go buy a bag of canned goods that could change somebody's life. It could get them to the next meal. You could get them through that week's meal. So how you're able to give, and I believe you people should give based upon their resources and what they have and do so in a way that you know that what you just did helped to impact a life. And so Mm -hmm. what I would say, the work that we're doing, there's a whole bunch of ways to support the work that we're doing, but most importantly is to never lose hope. And I don't use that as a pun, but to never lose hope on the opportunities, the skill sets, the potential of our children, Mm -hmm. because our baby's got a ton of potential. They just need somebody to see it. And they need somebody to invest in it. And Mm -hmm. if our community does that, then we will have the kind of community that we all say we want. Mm -hmm. But we can actually have it if we invest in the potential of our kids. One of the things that really strikes me Mm -hmm. about your grandmother, she had to be swimming upstream. Every day. So when you think about that and having one of the people who you love most in your life experiencing that, What was that like? I mean, Baptist churches still argue about women in the pulpit. You know, there's, I mean, there's like a whole list of things that when you say she was ahead of her time, she was a trailblazer. Straight up trailblazer. She was a pioneer trailblazer. And and our church is celebrating 50 years this year, Mm. right? Congratulations. So so we're celebrating 50 years. 72 is when we started. So dad's been preaching for 50. Mm -hmm. Church has been around for 50. My parents actually got married in 72 as well. So we celebrated their 50th anniversary this year. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, But with my grandmother, very true, and this this is a true story. When people look and they say how strong of a leadership in church Mm -hmm. we have, and they recognize my dad's leadership, so on and so forth, my dad will quickly pivot it mm-hmm. and say we wouldn't have anything if it wasn't laid on the right foundation. So obviously God is the right foundation, but then my grandmother built this, and it was all uphill. It was all pushing every single day. But to see people recognize, wow, y'all are really good, and y'all are really strong, and it's like, yeah, we are, because God used that woman mm-hmm. to do all of that. And like I said, I had an up-close, front-row seat. Yeah, you did. I would ride with my grandmother. There was a pastor in Chicago. Her name was Trudy Trim. I would ride my grandmother to Chicago. So she would go there. Like I said, it was a handful, but not many. And so I would hear her, mm-hmm. you know, as she would talk about things and how she thought about things. And her story is one that I'm trying to debate if I write this book or not because her story is one that is just so wild. I mean, she went through financial struggles. She went through all of this. And then when she passed away, she left a huge amount to my dad and he was the only one, but she went through all of these struggles and climbed each of those hills. And I got to see her do that. 
and it basically tells me there's nothing, there's nothing, mm -hmm. there's nothing you can't do. If a black woman can pastor a church and establish the foundation and format and all those different things. And so that's the reminder that's that I have. But she also said, you know, you got to be smart with what you do, right? Mm -hmm. Which is why she was a part of the NAACP and why she was a part of all those things. So watching her navigate every mm -hmm. single step. And that's why I talk about her like I do, mm -hmm. because the Lord promised her that he would give her name honor. Even though she went through all kinds of hell and high water, he promised her he'd give her name honor. And when, and when she passed and he called my dad into ministry, he told my dad, as I was with her, I'm going to be with you. Isn't that something? This is the reason why I do what I do, because I'm not doing it for me. Yep. It's not. This ain't for John. I, if I wanted to do stuff for John, I could go be making a whole lot of money. But it's all been that kind of walk. And what right. I learned from her, what I learned from my dad, is that you have to make choices and decisions not on what you see, but on mm -hmm. what you don't see. Mm -hmm. And that's what she did. Her walk was one of pure faith. And it didn't happen overnight. She had to learn that. And mm -hmm. she learned it, and she learned it, and she learned it. And I think she mastered it before mm -hmm. she got out of here. And that allows me to be able to see it. And I'm learning it and being able to master that it and grow. Amazing. So, yeah, she's, she, is, she is one of my heroes. Well, yeah, she should be. Um, Daddy well, is one of them, too. But she's one of my heroes. <laughs> and every time I get a chance to talk about her, I'm going to talk about her. I can't think of a better way to end than on that. This has been a pleasure. I've had a boatload of fun sitting here and having this conversation with you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And yes, I, it's been my pleasure as well. We're glad that you were able to join us. And we look forward to talking more as these programs grow and expand. And your role in the community does so as well. So Absolutely. thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Dr. Summerman. Thank you. Reverend Jones, thank you so much for being with us today. I am always inspired by your commitment to education, community, and connectivity, especially in the Toledo area. Thank you for your efforts on behalf of the youth in our community. Reverend Jones, we are grateful for your support and for your time today. And thank you to all of our listeners. Please remember to subscribe and join us for future conversations. Next time, we'll be talking with Dan Kreps, Superintendent of Rossford Schools. Until then, take care. <music>